Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hey, everybody, it's Chris Gethard from Beautiful Anonymous. So there's this new... Howell Show. I'm very excited to tell you about it. It's called Father Time, hosted by Jamie Kaler. Now, after years of The Bachelor Life, he found himself at the age of 50, married, two children, both under the age of two. How did this happen? On Father Time, Jamie interviews fellow dads like Joel McHale, Joel Murray, and many more about the trials and tribulations of raising children in today's upside-down world. Consider this your survival guide for all things fatherhood. Here's episode one of Father Time. To hear new episodes each week, log in to Howell.fm. And use the promo code FATHER, and you will get access to Howl for one month free. Welcome to the premiere edition of Father Time. Uh, I'm your host, Jamie Kaler. And uh, you're like, first of all, what is Father Time and who are you, Jamie Kaler? Well, I am a, a new father. I was a middle-aged guy with a bank full of money on a TV show who lived in a studio apartment down by the beach with one bowl and one spoon that I stole from a restaurant, and I was really happy. I saw every movie when it premiered. I ate dinner out every night. It was really great. I was dating, and I met a girl, and now I'm a 50-year-old man with two kids under the age of three, and uh, it hit me like a ton of bricks where I was like, what? All of a sudden, you have these two two pieces of human clay that you have to mold. And I, all I had was my father, who was an Irish Catholic repressed guy who raised six kids because he had to and God told him to. And now all of a sudden, I have two kids and I wanted to be the best father I could. So I started talking to all my friends. Some are in the business, some are celebrities, some are not in the business. And I started to learn about, we're all going through the same problems of being a father. And, and, uh, and how do we how do we learn and become the best parents we can be so that we don't raise these horrible children? The funny thing is that I was in my mid-40s and I was kind of you know, like a George Costanza character where I was just that normal guy who's, who's middle-aged and doesn't have kids. And so it's very fitting that my first guest uh, is Mr. Jason Alexander who played – George Costanza. And it was even funnier to find out that while he was playing this middle-aged loser, he was actually uh, married very happily with uh, some wonderful children. So uh, listen to today's podcast and we'll hear what Jason Alexander can teach us about being a father. Gentlemen, I've had the pleasure of doing some shows with. Uh, you are you're my first Tony Award winning actor. Elaine Stritch has not been by. No, she's well, she's dead. She's now, dead so, now. Yeah, but I be, just missed my window to get, get her. Yeah. And it's Father Time, so it would have been a really. I odd. don't think that would have been an issue for. No, her. I would have done it. Yeah, she would have. She would have been fantastic <laughs> for Jerome Robbins Broadway. The producers. Oh, and also, uh, you're on a little show called Seinfeld. Uh, yes. That was on there, too. Uh-huh. Uh, my guest today is Mr. Jason Alexander. Nice to Ladies see you. Ladies and gentlemen. You. Wow. Here's what's crazy about you playing George Costanza. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that, that you might be the greatest actor of all time to play that part because <laughs> here's why. Of all time. Well, During you. that part, you actually were uh, married and, and starting a family, having two children. So that you, you were like the true. most normal guy on earth. Certainly on that show. <laughs> on that show. And yet you played totally the opposite. Because uh-huh. here's what's amazing about you is yeah. that you are still married to the same uh, lovely woman that I've had the pleasure of meeting. And you yes. have two grown sons who haven't robbed liquor stores or yet. Uh, uh, liquor is not their thing. Liquor is not their thing. But they have – Rolled over the local drug guy <laughs> they, on the corner of <laughs> Lafayette and Ninth. You're from New Jersey. Yeah. Your dad, uh, you just normal family? What was he like? Was he— Is there such a thing? Um, mine's not. We're Irish Catholic lunatics. My, my dad, you know, um, it depends if you believe his stories, <laughs> um, which are kind of great stories. And uh, anecdotally, they seem to be true. Right. 
my dad grew up on the lower – he was first-generation uh, American, grew up on the lower east side of New York. And supposedly uh, – here's the things that may or may not be true. He was the handball champion of whatever lower part of – he was supposedly an amateur boxer with some ranking, although I can find no evidence of that. He was supposedly a member of the Jewish mafia of the Lower East Side. I have some some evidence of that because there was there was a whole table of guys at my bar mitzvah that are either dead or incarcerated right. through various and sundry means. Um, and then he worked all kinds of little odd jobs, everything from a project manager at Bell Labs during World War II, which you would think, well, hmm, that must have been developing some pretty interesting yeah. tech for the war. And he has no science background to driving a uh, a New York, New Jersey transit bus to selling life insurance to account managing at a brush manufacturing company. You know, and people, odd people from all walks of life would kind of walk in and out of our lives temporarily. I, if you told me my dad worked for the CIA, I'd go, hmm, maybe. Um, but – Normal guy, yeah, funny guy, um, uh, a fairly uh, normal, you know, Jewish guy of his generation who grew yeah. up in New York. Yeah, so he was the first generation here. Yeah, where, where were they from? Uh, my dad's family. I, now I always get this rush out. I, I think my mother's family was Poland. My dad's family was, was Russia. And so the joke is that uh, I'm part Russian, part Polish. I want to conquer the world, but I don't know why. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so he uh, his his guy, his stock came from Russia, and he had that good peasant stock, you know. Because right. uh, I remember, uh, I'll tell you a quick story. So there's a restaurant to this day on the Lower East Side of New York called Sammy's Romanian Restaurant. It is typified by there's a block of ice on every table with a bottle stoli in it, and a what looks like a syrup bottle. Filled with, I kid you not, chicken fat. And the first course is generally uh, toasted challah bread that you smear with chopped liver and fried onions. And then you put the chopped liver on top of that and sprinkle some some rock salt. And it is unbelievably good, even if it sounds disgusting. It's unbelievably good going down. And then about an hour later, your heart just negotiates with you. <laughs> and, I, and that's just the first course. And I called my father... After I had this meal and I was sick as a dog and I said, I'm going to describe a meal. You tell me, as a kid, how many times a week did you eat like this? And I tell him what I have and he goes, oh, three times a day, every day. And I go, how are you alive? What is in your veins and arteries? Um, you know, and he, he survived three major heart attacks. <laughs> but he was a tough old bird, man. That's funny. Yeah. You know, we talk about it. everyone's like, oh, for health, you know, eat goji berries or, or blueberries. Yeah, no, or apparently like, not. Yeah. There's one <laughs> trick to being healthy. It's called have great genetics. Yeah. That's really it. Like, it's very true. You know, the guy, yeah, my father, I mean, chain smoked and still still made it right. pretty far. It finally my, got my it. Father but he made it pretty long. Gave up was forced to give up cigar. He yeah. died at almost he was a week shy of 91. And um he gave up cigars when he was 85. He'd been smoking, you know, three packs a day cigarettes. And then in his 60s, they said, Al, nah, no, no more cigarettes. Cigars, cigars are fine. And, you know, he took like right. four of them a day. And he on his death, but he, I, he hadn't eaten for weeks. He right. couldn't take water. I said, Dad, can I, can I get you anything? He said, I'd kill for a cigar. I'd kill for a cigar. <laughs> Were you in Jersey the whole time? Or did you? Growing up? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And siblings? Uh, so my father was a widower. Uh, and he was married to a woman. They had two children, my half-brother and half-sister. Uh, that woman passed away, and my father remarried um, uh, my mom, who had never been married before, married her at the age of 40. Uh, she was 40. He was, wow. He was uh, 50. And um, – yeah, is that the right? Yeah, I think so. Or, Why you're giving me he hope. He was 49. He was 49. He was nine years older than her. No, no plan to have a child. 40-year-old women did not have children back in 1959. No. No. So, um, no. Uh, suddenly Surprise. there I was. So my siblings are uh, 14 and 20 years older than me, respectively. My, I'm similar. My mom was 42. My mom was 40 and my dad was 43. And I'm the youngest of six right. Irish Catholics. And the oldest one is 20 years old. There's a huge gap yeah, of kids. Gap. So I was a big surprise at yeah. that point too. Yeah. Well, that must have been a little uh, odd back in those days because to go like these are my parents. I'm kind of dealing with that now because I'm, I'm 50 and right. my kids are one. Yeah. 
you know. Yeah, you have my you have my dad's situation yeah. where you know you're gonna work until the day you die. Yeah, um, I, <laughs> I love it. You just throw that away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that was his thing. He went, you know, when my, my mom got pregnant, he was like, "Oh my god!" I mean, he married my mother partially, and, right. and you know, this is not taking the romance out of it. My mother was the breadwinner. My mother had this huge career in nursing, and she was making a better salary than my dad. So my dad was getting a wife, a mother for his teenage children, at that point, <laughs> and uh, and a better breadwinner. He hit the lottery. And then all of a sudden, you know, this new kid comes along, and he goes, oh, fuck, God's sake. Now so I'm stuck. She, and she's not going back to work at that point. She did. She did. She did. And she he, was out did he stay months. home and raise the kids? No, 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 no. I had – um, yeah, I had, you know, um, nanny is the wrong word. You know, they found this amazing woman, Mary Brown, this African-American woman who really was a housekeeper more than anything else. And we couldn't afford her as a housekeeper. Right. But she would come and, and she would spend the day with me while my mom worked. And then my mom was the first one back. And then uh, – uh, And your dad was uh, off doing one of the – My dad, when I was when I was born, my dad was working three jobs at the time. I mean they were strapped. He had debts right. from his first wife dying that hadn't been paid off yet. So That was a different time. Like people did not prepare. No. Like they do. No. Like and, when... and her illness would have wiped them out no matter what they had. Right. I mean she was – she had a rare disease that my sister also has and died from as well. So. Um, wow. Yeah. So they, they were strapped. Wow. Uh, but I, I started nursery school, you know, preschool, nursery school when I was right. three. And then, yeah, from the time I was kindergarten, I was a latchkey kid. There was a, a neighbor that I could, you know, come home to if I needed something. But I basically came home to an empty house and hung out until my parents got home. So maybe that's where the music and the other acting comes from to be like – Well, to kind of create um, I, uh, uh, I watched a lot of TV, you know, so there was a lot of – Flipping channels, yeah. and uh, I was all three into, of them. Into, yeah. All three, that's right. And I was into magic as a kid. That was my thing. So I never yeah, thought yeah. of that as performing. Yeah, um, you know, I just thought of it as feeling safer because I was kind of a scared little kid. But um, and and magic, I went, ooh, if I can make impossible things happen, I'll be. Strong. That's I read that that you yeah I mean, you do the magic castle. Do you still perform magic at all? Uh, hobby, hobby, yeah. Yeah. Why do you do you know why you got into magic? Yeah, exactly what I'm saying. It, it a, gave me a sense of um, I was really uh, shy, and I was, and by the time I was six, I started. That's when I started to put on weight, and then I was always a fat kid. So easy target, you know, and yeah. a little bit shy, and um, uh, not the greatest self image anyway. And so the the magic literally felt like oh, there there's something powerful. Yeah. I can do something <clears throat> mere mortals can't do. I can, you know, vanish a coin, which comes up all the time. Um, and, and confidence kind of grew out of that. No. Um. Still? Dude, I, because I, I, we did the show together at yeah. the improv. We, we both are graduates of Boston sure. University. You, yours is an honorary. I didn't, you, yes, right. Mine is very honorary. <laughs> which is honestly better way to go, dude. Way I don't better. know. You when know, they just when they called me for the honorary doctorate, I said, I'm 11 credits shy of an actual BFA. Can we swing that? I mean, I've been working steady for – they went, no, can't do it. <laughs> you can go back now. You get some money. I, could, I said, I'll buy the credits. I don't care. <laughs> I'll go know. back and just do it online. Yeah. But we did the show, and we it was all stand-up comics, and you were hosting, and I was like, well, what's, what's Jason going to do? And they were like, oh, he's – trust me, he's a song and dance man. And I was just blown away by the – just the – confidence and uh, it was wonderful you could have done hours you just sat out there you told stories you played some songs it that, was so entertaining you know it's so interesting because I, I i remember i was talking about this the other day when i was in college i yeah i i, I went into college thinking uh you know dra- stage and drama no film no television stage and drama maybe musicals i did like musicals but i yeah. liked more dramatic musicals i liked the sweeney todds of the world yeah. and things and um uh, a professor by the name of uh, Jim Spruill, uh, who's who is no longer with us, terrific guy. But he he sat me down uh, in the middle of my sophomore year and said uh, he quoted. This is his quote. He had this big, rich, you know, great African American baritone. You know, he said, "I know your heart is Hamlet, and you would be a profound Hamlet. You will never play Hamlet." <laughs> So I suggest you get good at Falstaff. And I went, what? What? And he, and he basically said, if you, if you want a commercial career, if you want a viable, you know, that world, um, you got to take some stock. You're losing your hair. You're a little guy. You're already dumpy. You know, you're a good, solid character actor, but you don't do comedy. You got to start doing some comedy. And that's when I started really looking at comedy. 
What, what did your parents say when you were like, hey, I'm, uh, I'm going to go act? Were you already acting as a kid, and did you play instruments? I, or were you just know, singing? around the house, when, I, when, when my mom hears me say I was a shy kid, she goes, what? Because in my house, I was not. Right. In my house, I was the star. Was your dad musical at all? Uh, he loved to sing, uh, but he was not encouraged. Uh, <laughs> That's, I feel like my children are going to say that about me. Yeah. <laughs> I sing all the time uh, in the house, and the kids, they, they yeah. don't know you. Enough, well, my kids don't encourage me. me, and I go, asshole, I am paid. <laughs> <laughs> you actually, um, it's, yeah. yeah, it's a profession for you. Yeah. Uh, I think dads generally are not, you know, the children don't go, hey, Was dad, he a warm guy? Was he? He could you, be. Um, like, I never hugged. My dad was like oh, a handshake no. guy. I, let, me know, let me tell you something. Um, here's the gift my father gave me. I knew from the instant that I could know anything, and this applies to both my parents, but particularly my father, because it was not the thing you would expect from my father. I knew my father loved me with every cell in his body. I had that man wrapped around my finger from the time I could remember. And um, so for me, he was always warm. Uh, thank God he hit me, I think, twice <clears throat> as a child, and um, and I am grateful for that because he, he easily could have killed me. And you one had time, it coming. One yeah, time yeah. I deserved to uh, have been killed. Um, uh, my dad had that sort of Lower East Side pug attitude, not quite the Joe Pesci Italian version. I think to, his, to people that he adored, he was an incredibly warm and generous guy. To the people he didn't, he, he probably came off as a guy who was wearing his masculinity on his sleeve. And, you know, since I met my dad when he was 50, right. it was always um, an image that I questioned because I went, I think a lot of guys could take him. Uh, <laughs> uh, although he was incredibly strong. He really was incredibly yeah. strong. But, uh, you know, I'm looking at a guy in his 50s with a heart condition. I'm going, you know, this macho thing may not bear up under scrutiny. You, you met your wife... Right out of the shoot in New York. Yeah. That was it. You're like, I'm getting married. 23. Let me just tell you. Back up. Slow down. <laughs> it was, uh, I, uh, I mean, you were a Broadway was, actor. I was you weren't out trying to tear that town. No, know? I was, I was whipping that horse. Dana, you know, God bless her. Um, she was fascinated by me, but she had to be, uh, she had to be one. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I was, I was not what she was looking for by any stretch of the imagination. She was not looking for an actor. She was not looking for a guy shorter than her, balding at 21. Um, you know, she was dating really great-looking guys that were living life in a, in a much faster lane than I was. Um, but I kind of got her number early on about what her, her deal was. And, and, and there were things about me that I thought, <laughs> if Where'd I you guys may, meet? If I may be so bold, would be very good for her. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we met under the only circumstance that she would ever have gone out with me. I was working for Joy Todd Casting in New York as the flunky, the office flunky. But I was registering the SAG actors for for extra work. And uh, I saw her and there was a little bit of a connection, although she was just trying to get work. I mean, she wasn't, you know. And I... Um, if if she told the story, she would tell you it was a classic cast and couch thing. But I I was so shy about asking her out because I knew the situation was so – there was a, a whole group of people I had to register. And then I asked her to stay afterward because um, we were thinking of her for something in this pilot that we were doing, which was so not true. <laughs> so not true. And then I, now I've got her there. And it was the pilot for Fame, the series. Sure. And I said I, – I did not have the gumption to ask her out. So I just – I kept saying, oh, it says you sing. Um, uh, can you sing some scales? I mean just so I get to know what your voice is. And I'm like I'm making her jump through hoops just so I could work up the guts to go, hey, so by the way, if you ever want to see a movie or something sometime. I eventually got to that. And it was like I had asked her if she would like to, you know – kill a field full of small animals her, her face just fell yeah. and she was like um yeah sure uh sure yeah whatever and uh, she didn't want it she she, she did if not she said no that. she would never go back she to thought she'd never get a, a yeah. job there by the way it, it working in a casting office you broke that's some you broke some rules i feel like asking out the actors yeah okay yeah, I'm just saying. All right. I feel like morally that's – What about you, it? You really put her in a weird position. That's you know what? uncomfortable. You want to take this outside? <laughs> Honestly, I, I would. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, it was it was me um, within very short – time. things happened very fast. We were – we moved in together within eight weeks of meeting. And about a month or two after that – and I, I was 20, 21 years old. I started asking her to marry me. She said no three times. 
Because she's a little bit older than me. And she went, no. First of all, she didn't believe in – she wasn't sure she believed in marriage at all. And certainly not marriage to me. And I just was persistent. And I was uh, – you know, I was – I think it was that thing where I went, I'm going to win. I'm going to win. She doesn't want to and I want to. You definitely have that – I mean even going at 14 to go do – you kind of know what you want. You go after it I until did, you But you know it. what? I was in love with love. I mean I, sure. I, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I, I People always say, how do you – how do you have such a long marriage? I go, make a really good choice the first time. I, it just <laughs> so happened that the girl that I asked to marry me was the best possible partner and friend I ever could have found as an adult. I didn't really know that at the time I was asking her to marry me. Had you dated a lot in college? Mm, not a lot. You know, I yeah. probably had um, I probably had three or four relationship, relationships before Dana. Um, and a lot of sex. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I fell into an interesting situation <laughs> in college that uh, opened up a whole world of sexuality. So, Do you know, uh, when I was at uh, BU, um, Playboy was doing a thing about the best places to get laid in any given city in mm-hmm. the United States. And when they did Boston, the number two place was the third floor student lounge in the Mugar Library. <laughs> and I went, you know what? They're right. That's really funny. <laughs> So you get married, uh, you uh, are working, yeah, and you get some kids. Uh, there's a big jump. <laughs> you guys, you were married for a while. We were, and we had five years of unexplainable infertility. Uh, when I married Dana, by the way, she said, I, I, you have, if you want to marry me, you just have to know I'm never having kids. And I went, um, okay. I hadn't really thought about it one way or the other. I, went, yeah. oh, I don't know. I'll cross that bridge when I get we, to we, it. As we just do what we're told at that point. Right. Yeah. And uh, when she turned uh, 28, 29, it was like, you know, salmon that have to spawn. She went, changed my mind. And from that point, uh, we started trying it about a year, year and a half in. We went, oh, that's weird. And so we started taking the tests. And every, there, is n- there is no medical reason why we were not able to get pregnant. We did the same. And we bounced around to a couple doctors in New York, and then we moved out to L.A. and we started Seinfeld. And we weren't even sure we were going to continue this process because it was just so debilitating. And then we met a guy out here, and uh, and we just took an instant liking to him. And so he had sex with her, and that's how we have to No. So then, um, uh, so no. then uh, we, we kind of put ourselves in his hands, and, and both my boys are – uh, what they called unstimulated, so they they didn't need to give her drugs to make a lot of eggs. They just used her natural cycle, and uh, and they're both uh, in vitro. We went through the same thing, my wife, because she she was so nervous she couldn't have kids, and then all of a sudden, once she kind of relaxed, yeah, then everything, yeah. She had me tested. I had to go in a cup. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. You do the old cup. Yeah. I did mine, you know, session. on the, the, the three, four, five train going down. Did you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> just to keep it fresh. The first thing, they up. said, yeah, just bring it by about uh, 7.30 a.m. I went, that would require <laughs> ejaculating at around 6 a.m., which <laughs> I, you, that's not a I'm problem. a young, happy guy, but I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure. 6 a.m., that's an early call. Um, yeah. You're like, it's not me, please. Here's a, yeah. here's a cup. It's not me. Yeah. Um. And then kids. But so you were on Seinfeld already. Yeah. Season early. Gabe was born in ninety two. We started in ninety. Noah was born in ninety six. So Gabe Gabe came around when we weren't quite sure we were gonna be on the air. And Noah came around when we were a big old hit. Yeah. When you were like you get your set for a couple more years. Yeah. Yeah, that's rare. That's rare in yeah. this town where they Noah go. held back going, get your stuff together. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't met Noah, but Gabe is a wonderful kid. He just oh, finished nice. Yale. I graduated Yale almost two years ago, yeah. The fact that you, a working actor, hit show, and everything seems to go fine. You just stay married to the same woman, healthy young men who mm-hmm. seem normal, mm-hmm. our Ivy League kids, like no <laughs> yeah. no terror when they were kids, terror at all? No, I, you know, the boys, you know, not that they're not without their challenges as, as any kids are, but, you know, I, I actually believe they come out cooked and you can nudge him a little you can sprinkle some spices so on there's only so much i can do yeah. with my tip but um but they're good they're they were good guys yeah. and, and they've always been good guys um was it a terror when you were, i mean as a dad like here's the deal i have a two and a half year old and a one-year-old and every day i'm like oh my god it's just mayhem unbridled mayhem so hmm. obviously you were on the show so i'm sure you were you know well i had you know um for an actor i had a pretty good deal because it was 
essentially a nine to five job. Yeah. I didn't have the, the, the three months making a movie in the middle of China or yeah. you know, and leaving them. Um, I was pretty much an at-home dad. Um, but Did they hang on set with you? Uh, occasionally, but you know, that's a distraction for everyone on the set and it didn't do anything for them as kids either. Julia, Julia had her boys, uh, Henry and Charlie, almost exactly. I think Henry is a year older than Gabe and I think Charlie is either exactly the same age as Noah or a year younger. And so she had a second dressing room set up as a, as a little nursery. So her nanny was there and she'd go uh, see the kids anytime we took a break. But uh, but for the most part, no, it wouldn't have been great for me. It wouldn't have been great for the for the boys. So. No, because you were lost in George Land. You can't. He can't have kids. Well, sure. I mean, and you're method guy, too. right? Yeah, people absolutely. have to call you George. Absolutely, yeah. Yes. Like the... yes, never take the glasses off. <laughs> you not take the glasses off. Uh, so we'll talk about having the kids because um, Gabe's becoming an actor. Mm-hmm. He is an actor now. Is Noah uh, the same? No. What's Noah doing? Uh, well, that's a very good question. Does <laughs> um, Gabe have all of his uh, crap together and Noah's the one, the, the baby? Well, you know, it's interesting. They're, they're very different guys. So Gabe, like his dad, kind of zeroed in on what he wanted to do pretty young. So he has a defining passion. He has a call. And it has carried him with great direction through his young life. Noah, um, in many ways, is the smartest member of the family, both, um, you know, just his mental ability, but also his emotional acuity. It's very sharp. He really is an old soul in every sense of the word. But he's also, in many ways, a lost soul right now because he doesn't have that calling. He doesn't know what his thing is. And in our family, he thinks that's strange. And I keep telling him, no, we're the freaks. Most people at age 20, don't go, this is it for me. I know where I'm going. So he feels like, uh, I, I think, the the outsider in this. But he, um, you know, he's a liberal arts student. He's about, uh, as of this moment, he's about to declare uh, a major in linguistics and a minor in philosophy, uh, which means he will be thoughtful and articulate about why he's unemployed the rest of his life. Um, <laughs> Uh, but, you know, I, I, I can't say for certain that either of them are passionate things for him. He likes to write and believes writing may be a part of his life. And he doesn't want to act, but he would be interested in doing voiceovers. And I go, I don't know what you just said. As if voice acting is somehow <laughs> disconnected like, from acting. So, you know, um, Noah's a little bit all over the map right now, but uh, as he should be. Talk about when they were little kids. Like I had uh, – when my babies were first born, I just had no fear. Like I was I was overwhelmed of like, oh my god, I'm responsible for the safety of this child. Well, you know, we started parenthood in this really um, intense way because Gabe was born with a bronchial infection. So the first 10 days of his life was in the NICU right. at, uh, at Cedars. And, um, you know, that throws you for a loop to begin with. And then things – got a little worse before they got better. So we had at least 24 hours, or I had 24 hours where I went, my, my son is not going to make it, my kid's not going to make it. Yeah. And um, I went to bad places. <laughs> it's funny because it's something we don't talk about that often, no. but the, the utter fear that I didn't have. Like before I had kids, I didn't care. Right. Like people like global warming, I was like, I don't care. I'm not going to be here for that shit. Yeah. I don't care what Absolutely. And now all of a sudden you have kids, and I'm like, oh man, now I have all this responsibility on time. Yeah. And it's also, you know, prior to a kid, I mean, I love my wife, but, you know, if I'm drowning or I, or I can save her, uh, I said, you know, I look at her and go, you had a, you had a good life, right? Now. <laughs> <laughs> my wife, there's a sound in the backyard. I mean, my I'm not goes, that strong a swimmer, yeah. honey. I'm not sure I can get both of us out of here. You know, it's, uh, but suddenly you have this, yeah. this person and you go, there's no question. I mean, I, I, I don't think I'm just saying it. I think if it were put to the test, I, it would be true. But, you know, I, I here he is, you know, fighting for air as a five-day-old, and I'm going, uh, I'm in the chapel going, please, if you need one of us, take me. Please yeah. make the swap. Um, and that was unheard of for me prior to that. So, yeah, it ta- it, 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 something happens very quickly, which is why I kind of have this tiny little belief in some sort of reincarnation because I go, if he were just a stranger to me who is now – in my life for five days, and he's yeah. been a pain in the ass since he got here. I don't know that I'd be swapping my life to to take care of him. I, and I said, I think we may have known each other before this. So, um, 
Yeah, it was it was a crazy beginning. And then so 10 days later, he's fine. And by the way, he's been a rock ever since. Um, and we brought him home and we put him down in the cradle and now he's going to be OK. And, and we finally take our first calm breath. And then we the panic sets in of going, they gave us a person. <laughs> I don't Crazy. know what to do with this person. How do you the raise a person? Was, yeah. Oh, my God. It's insane. We've been crib training. Like the 14-month-old has slept in our bed uh-huh. for the first 14 months of her life. And my sure. wife was out of town for like five days. And I was like, all right, I'm going to use this time. So I've been up. The kid's like in the crib and screaming sure. all night. I said, I don't belong here. Right. And uh, I – yeah. And then I was like, can you die from screaming? Can a baby – how long can a baby scream before? Oh, they can go. They go. <laughs> yeah. She threw yeah. up from screaming, and yeah. then I'm start, every moment I'm like, is that, is that kid breathing? Like the f- utter fear yeah. of yeah. I'm responsible for that kid. Yeah. He comes along. Noah comes along. Noah comes along. Uh, they're they're almost four years apart. Like, were you strict as a dad? Were you, do you did you do you think you were similar to your own dad, or were you kind of forging your own path at this point? Couldn't say as a young kid because my dad wasn't around yeah. as much when I was a little kid. Um, He's working three jobs. Yeah, my my dad and I were buddies, and I think that's more or less the road I've gone. We had we had a we had two things with the kids. One is we uh, we took a program called Research Infant Educares or Rye. It's a pretty popular program, and it's a program for birth to two years old with the kid. And it's a set of philosophies and behaviors that you try and instill to get your child um, to the point where you don't get the terrible twos. Um, and it's a real... Have you not heard about this? Well, I've heard about the terrible twos because I'm right in the middle of no, it. No, have you not heard about Rye? No. All right, so here's, here's... If I encapsulate Rye down to a sentence or two, what it is is it says, this person is capable of more um, self-direction in their life than we give them credit for if you give them the opportunity. So Rye believes what happens at two is all of a sudden the child begins its first time ever breaking away from the parent, starting to get some independence. Yeah. But because it's had zero independence, it's a freak out. It's an emotional freak out. I want it. I don't know what to do with it. I don't know. All right. So Rye tries to show them that they've been making choices all along and that when we can, we will listen to and empower those choices. So here's where it gets stupid. <laughs> here's where it gets stupid. Okay. Okay. So first of all, you never pick a rye baby up or put them down without telling them you're going to do it. So you say, Gabe, dad's going to pick you up now because we're going to go over and have dinner downstairs. And then I would pick him up and take him. Or I'd be carrying him and go, dad's going to put you down now in the car seat because we're going to go see grandma. And we have to use the car to do that. You just wouldn't pick them up or put because they can't. They don't decide when to get picked up or put down. So you give them the respect of saying, here's what I'm doing and here's why I'm doing it. Then you do. Now, that, as stupid as that seems. Actually, that makes a lot of sense. And I've already, I've wrecked the first one. Okay. The second one I can start now. Okay. And it might help. It may help. I pick her up. I just pick the one up and I put her under my arm. Right, like a football. Yeah, like a football. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the, like, so the second one is you got them on the changing table, right? Mm -hmm. And you've done the diaper thing. And now you go, okay, time to get dressed. So, Gabe, I've got a blue outfit. I've got a red outfit. Is there one that you'd like to wear today? Now, he's not going to go, well, you know, I've given it some thought, and I think I'd like to go with the blue. <laughs> but if you just hang there for a minute, their eyes will focus on one or the other. And you go, I see you're looking at the blue outfit. So, okay, <laughs> let's wear the blue outfit today. Now, this sounds incredibly stupid. No, it but actually makes get, so much sense. You get into this habit of going, look, it's your body, your life, your world, and I realize you have very limited power over it. Let me give you as much as you as I can. You don't hang a mobile in a rye baby's crib because they can't look away. So you know that moment where they're going, hi, mama, mama, mobile, mobile. They, it's because it's too much for them. So you're, you're better off putting some sort of lights and shadows up on the ceiling that dance around. It's too late for me. I know. Jason. I know. I've already wrecked so the let me first let me help you. This is really good with stuff. With Gabe, it worked great. Okay. With Noah, he went. You know what? Go screw yourself. <laughs> um, okay. All right. Stop asking me questions. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. So we we had that, and then we had a Bible that we used on these boys, uh, and I highly recommend it. I, and I get nothing for this. I'm not connected to this. Um, these two wonderful women, and I wish I could remember their names, wrote two great books. One of them is How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk. Great book. 
And it was developed because these two ladies were moms. Right. They were having problems with their kids. They didn't know who to turn to. So they started having neighborhood meetings with the other parents where they would all go, well, here's what I'm going through, and here's what I'm going through, and here's what I'm going through. And it was all kind of similar. And then they'd go, well, why don't we try something like this? Or I've had success doing this. And everybody, it was like this communal social experiment. And then these women took the success stories and went, here's what we've discovered. And it's great. And then the other book they wrote is Siblings Without Rivalry, which came into being when Noah came around. Right. And they were both fantastic, easy to read, fun, very simple, just some guidelines about what do you do when this happens? What might work? What might help? And we, we found both of them invaluable. My two right now. I mean, they're really good friends, and Hannah will take care of Claire, the youngest. But she still, if Claire has something, she'll just grab it out of her hand and then push her. Yeah, that's a big move. And she's barely walking. And yeah. I go, did you just push your sister? Yes. Yeah. She doesn't care. Well, here's the deal with siblings and that rivalry. I'm paraphrasing the, the intro, but it says, imagine your spouse comes to you and says, honey, I love you so much. I, I had no idea life could be like this. I am so thrilled with you. I'm so in love with you. It's all about you. And I'm so happy in a way I've never been that I've gone out and gotten another one of you. Uh, and, and they're going to come live with us. And you know, it'd be great if you could get along and maybe, maybe share some of your things. <laughs> uh, they said, that's the first, that's what you're basically telling child number one. Um, and so you have to understand that it may not go down as nicely as you think. So the whole thesis of their book of Siblings Without Rivalry is you can't make them like each other. You can make them respect each other. Okay. And, and that's what you work for is exactly that. Don't grab that thing and don't push down. You can, you can say, you know, there's a, there's a problem here. You're not – she comes – the older one can say, she's not respecting my thing. This is my thing. I'm not ready to share it. Okay. Well, then that's the problem. The, push, the grabbing and the pushing is not actually the problem in that right. scenario. The problem is, is that the older child feels like I didn't invite I, – I've put value in this thing. And I'm not ready to share it. And why do I have to? I'm doing this totally wrong, man. I'm, I've already. She'll do it. Dude, and I go. I go. No I go. That's not cool. <laughs> that's not the right response to a two and a half year old Hannah. Totally uncool. What you're doing. Right. Right. Stop right. hitting your sister. Yeah. And then we throw her in the crib, which yeah. I think you're not supposed to punish your kid by I putting them in the crib. I think that's what you do with the dog. That's the the, the, the dog's in the, in the garage. Put them in the crib. <laughs> Actually, the dog. When the kids came along, he was like, "Hey, I got to go in the backyard. What happened here? Like, he's out. Right. Yeah. He's so uh, far down the chain him. now." They, uh, how do you, how did you punish them? Like we, I, we still throw Hannah in the crib. She can climb out now though. When they were really little? Yeah. Have you ever hit your children? No. No. No, it would be unwise. My mother Um, used to, my mother mother hit me with stuff. I mean, she broke the yardsticks. I never really had that. Like I said, my dad laid his hands on me twice and he regretted it each time. Not because I hurt him, but it broke his heart. Yeah. And my mom never did. So I, I didn't oh, grow up with that. But, I had it coming, though. I really just, I Well, it I was also it. You're the youngest it. of six. It was yes. like, you know. And the closest one to me is eight years older, so I was a, I was a little surprised uh, oh, basket yeah, coming no, along. So. I mean, that's... Um, um, no, I don't remember punishment. We, you know, we had the time with the t- timeout, which was when they were really little. It wasn't go to your room. It was sit there, stay right there, and let's just have a moment and think. About what's going on? Were and you the disciplinarian? Disciplinarian, or was your uh, wife? Working? We sh- we shared it, but she was there more because I was working. Yeah, As but I didn't o- do anything. She didn't say that. <laughs> this is how we're going to roll on this. <laughs> I feel the same way about my wife. Like I scored my wife. My friends yeah. always go. We knew the second you started dating that girl, you were going to marry her. Yeah, and I basically I give her grief all the time, but I do exactly what I'm told. Yeah, it just makes life so much simpler. Well, you know, she did a lot more research than I did, and and. Frankly, mothers raise kids. Yeah. I mean, if they're there, mothers raise kids. And it's foolish, unless they're doing something dangerous, to try and go around them. <laughs> <laughs> it's just crazy. How far apart are they? Five? Uh, just sure, four years. Four years. So that's actually a pretty big gap. Yeah, it's a good – it actually turned out to be a pretty good, good gap. gap. The only time it was a sad gap is because they really are good brothers and they really uh, do care for each other a lot. So when Gabe went off to college, I remember the night that we were going to take Gabe to school – and we were tucking Noah in, and he looked really sad. And I said, "You're sad because you know we're gonna take Gabe to school tomorrow." And he said, "Well, this is this is it." I said, "Why?" He said, "Well, we're not gonna be a family anymore." I said, "Of course we are. He's gonna be you know." I tried, I tried to come. He goes to school for eight weeks. Comes home for He's weeks. He's pretty smart. That's great and Noah intuition. Goes, no, this is not where he lives anymore. Yeah. This is where he visits. 
What a and, smart uh, kid. And he was oh, only, what, eighth he, grade at that point or something? Yeah, I mean, that's the problem with Noah. He, he was emotionally smart beyond his years. Yeah. So that's a hard kid to, to raise sometimes because you can't bullshit him. <laughs> you can't bullshit him. He's like, I know, I know what's happening here. Yeah. 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 That must have been hard because then all of a sudden he's kind of an only child at home. And he was. And, and at first he thought that was going to be a huge diminishment in his life. And it, it actually turned out to be a very good thing for him because he got what he never had. Gabe had three and three-quarter years where he's the star of the show. Yeah. All eyes are on him. Well, Noah got that finally too at a time when he really needed it but was at the other end of the, of the time. I feel like the babies are always more – like I felt like I was you know, really taken care of and spoiled right yeah. as the youngest of the group. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's hard now because Claire's just so young, but I think Claire will eventually – she's the baby. Yeah. And I think the mom never forgets the baby right. and the family and stuff takes care of yeah. Were the kids ever uh, – like Gabe seems like such a well-behaved young guy. He was, was never he, a problem. Never a problem. No. I mean, you know, listen, we all uh, we all have our times. We all have our periods. You didn't have to go bail him out of jail or you didn't yeah. catch him drinking behind the house. No, or, no, and he was growing no. up in Hollywood, man. Yeah. I'm really worried about raising my kids here because you yeah. see what happens to them. They go to these schools and – yeah, a this is a tough, and it's a tough uh, time. Yeah, I, you know, I don't think Hollywood is any better or worse than anywhere else. I think the added thing here is it is a town that has a lot of money, and there are big have and have nots divides. Um, and my kids had the extra thing of um, a, a family uh, or a father in the limelight and the disproportionate values that come with celebrity. Yeah. So when you're trying to teach the real value of something and they see people treat me in an exalted way for really no damn good reason, <laughs> it's it's yeah. it's very hard to to you know um impart those values and those realities, but that I think that's the challenge. It is a distorted sense of reality. They, they, yeah. But it seems like he kind of gets it. Well, you other know, kids don't. They go, "Hey, my dad, so and so." A couple of times, we were really able to nail it. Um, so, I'll give you a great for instance. We, when we did Disneyland with the kids, Seinfeld was at its height. Right. So, and I had done a lot of stuff for Disney. So, anytime we would go to Disneyland, I'd call up the Disney. We'll guys close the park for you, and not close the park, but we would get you know the the tour guide, and right. we'd go in the back of right. everything. So we never waited on a line. And like the third time we were doing this, and it dawned on me, and I went, "Huh." I wonder what the kids make of this, right? So I said to Gabe, and I don't think he was about 11 at the time or something. I said, Gabe, do you know why we don't wait on the lines? He goes, yeah, because we're famous, because we're, we're better than those people. And I went, aha. I said, okay, let's go. And we got on the line. And what I knew would happen happened. And that was the other family started to go, oh, George, blah, blah, blah. And it was photographs and this and that. And, that. and we did one ride. And I said, and, you know... I, I felt like he didn't get it. Yet. So we did We did like three rides that way. And I said to him again, why do we not wait on the lines? And he said, because when they went on the lines, they're a family and we're not. And I went, that's right. That's funny. That's a great lesson. Yeah. It must have been weird at that point. I mean, you know, when you go to places like that, just to get, I mean, barraged and your kids are with you and stuff, was it ever a point where it's just kind of scary and weird and creepy? No, the only, no, because the people that are into what, to, even the George, you know, I could always say the, the four Seinfelds had very different fan bases. You know, Jerry had the, the young girls. Uh, he Julia, did? Yeah, Julia had. Uh, Jerry had young girls as his fan base? He was dating Shoshana. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah, 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 I guess, I guess. <laughs> no, he had young girls in their late teens and 20s. Sure, sure. You know, found him very cute. Um, uh, Julia had convicts. They loved her. Convicts loved that right? Elaine because she was a tough, yeah. attractive girl. Yeah, I could see uh, that. The, the crazy people loved Kramer. Yeah. And I had the mothers of the girls that were into Jerry. So it was my <laughs> fan base. <laughs> was very normal. And, um, you know, I, I would get a lot of attention, but it wasn't crazy attention. We, the time, the only time with the kids when it was like a thing was airports when they were really little. Because, yeah. you know, they're not good travelers. So they're fussing and they're screaming and they're whatever. The hours are all off. And I'm holding a screaming three-year-old and somebody comes up and goes, hi, can we take a picture? And I go, really? <laughs> this is this this is a real thing. This is happening. Yeah. This is a person. This is my child. And they're crying now. So that was the only time. Yeah. But the rest of it's good. Gabe, the only advice that he ever um, asked for and that he's actually taken is the one that I give all the college students when I go do master classes and they go, you know, what's the secret? And I go, when you get out of here, don't wait for a job. Make a job. 
you know, the, the, the world is your kingdom now. So get your directors, get your writers, get your designers, get your whatever, and start making stuff, you know? Yeah. There's no knowing what's going to break through. There's no knowing what's going to compensate you. But if, if you're an artist, make art. Go do your thing. Yeah. Don't sit there and wait for somebody. Uh, and Gabe took that really to heart. So Gabe has become a writer and a composer and a and, uh, little bit of a director. And he's you know wears a lot of hats and he's out there building his team. And, and they're doing – they're really starting to do well now. And In fact, he and I are doing – we are right now, as we speak, selling – a little web series that we shot, and and I, I think saying, we're going to make a pretty good sale on it. So that's awesome. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I really appreciate you coming in. I have a couple last questions sure. to ask you that I ask everybody. Yeah. Um, hey man, your kids. It's, I knew it was going to be like, hey, really good lessons. Uh, what is <laughs> one thing that you hope your kids never find out about you or your wife? Oh. Uh, how close we came one, well now they will <laughs> how no, close we came once to breaking up is that right uh, yeah it came close but uh, everybody was functioning really at their highest level when it happened and we were incredibly fortunate that when we decided to go into therapy because it was not obvious it was not like screaming were the kids people. already here yeah Oh, okay. Yeah, Noah was baby. Noah was like two, but um, it was it was my premature midlife crisis. Honestly, is what it was all about. And you were a huge star yes, on this I hit was. show. So yes. that's that. Honestly, this is great to hear because yeah. that was my question to go. How do you navigate that success and not kind of get a little like you know what? But I don't know I if it, I don't know do. if it, I don't know if that had anything to do with it as much as really it was. You know, I, I can look back at it now. And go, that's a classic male midlife crisis. I just had it a little early, like at 37, 38. Mm-hmm. But well, you aged early. It's, I did. You, you I early. prematurely bald. Yeah. And everything you started. I get everything out of the way early. I'm late. I'm a late guy. Well, then you have lots of good things coming. But when we went into therapy, we found an amazing therapist and uh, within within six months had a better marriage than I ever had had. And then I stayed for 10 years and went, oh, that's what it is to be a My wife wants me to go to therapy. (laughs) I I, got to tell you. All my friends like you should go. I... (laughs) I cannot say enough about my experience. I'm honestly afraid of some of the stuff that might come out, though. Be I don't afraid know if nothing. I could live. Be afraid of nothing. I'd be. I'd be. It's like I think even the therapist might go, "Wow, you're really you're you're effed in the H, man." Well, you something's know, really wrong. There with you go. I had a reverse midlife crisis. I was single till late 40s, and uh-huh. then I was like, "Oh, you know what? I'm gonna have a wife and kids." Now. Yeah, yeah, I went yeah. The opposite way. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a good thing. You will not. Interesting... You will not face this moment. So, of I, so you, you kept that from them, huh? Bob, I, you know they. I don't think they ever sensed it or got damaged by it. Dana and I handled ourselves extremely well. Yeah. Um, and like I say, you know, that's a great woman that gets through that because that's tough. Yeah. That's tough. Um, but we both uh, hard, rose yeah. to our highest level and got really lucky with the person we hired to help us. Yeah. I, I do think therapy is great for everybody. Yep. Um, what is one trait that you hope your kids get – from you and your wife or not get from you and your wife? Hmm. I always say uh, at Thanksgiving when we do the big toast, one of the things that I include along with, you know, health, happiness, blah, 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 blah is may you have challenges that you can meet because life is pretty dull without them, actually. Um, and sometimes you want them to be like, oh, this is going to break me. I can't get over this hill. And then you set your mind to it and you, and you find a way through stuff. And that you actually... That's how you grow. Um, so I would love them to have the fortitude to meet those kinds of challenges. I think they can. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if their character yet – I can't tell from what I know of them whether life has been too good, too easy for them, and so they don't dig um, because it, the time's going to come when they're going to have to dig. And uh, I hope they can. It's, it's definitely a tougher time I think now too. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, I mean, I mean Gabe – Went off to Yale. He must have been doing something right along the way. But yeah, to yeah. live in a in a world of privilege and then yeah. have something easy to fall is, back on anytime there was a problem. And there's going to be major, yeah, all kinds of major socioeconomic, environmental, technological shifts that they have to yeah. deal with. And and uh, you know, you gotta you're gonna have to face the challenges. And I uh, I, I feel. Fairly confident they can, but it'll be interesting. When you, really quick on the facing challenges, were you ever um, 
even though in a test for Seinfeld, was there ever a feeling of nervousness or like, oh my gosh, this is my – it never feels – it was always like just the next job, the next job, the next job. You'd already won a Tony by, by then. By the time the audition for Seinfeld came around, I knew that – I knew two things. Nothing was the thing. Everything I thought, yeah. oh, this is going to be the I one. I know, yeah. Nothing is the one. Nothing is. And there's always another one. Those were the two things I had learned. Now, not everybody can say there's always another one. But that was the gift that, you know, fate gave me, that I had enough ability and enough momentum that if it wasn't this, it was going to be something else. Yeah. Actually, you know what? That's the last question is what is one word of wisdom or a mantra that you would kind of pass on to your kids? And that's – those two things are great. Yeah. I, I will um, – Nothing – not one thing's ever going to define you. It's the th- – yeah. And there will always be something and else. And the thing that I, I've tried to tell people all the time is – and uh, Gertrude Stein said it. There is no there there. Every time you think, if I get that, if I become that, if I do that, then I'll be happy, successful, whatever you think the thing is. That thing is never the thing. (laughs) Um, The journey to it is the thing, um, whether you get there or not. But the thing itself is never the thing. I can't. That's the best way to go out. That's perfect. All right, brother. My guest today, Jason Alexander, thank you so much for coming out and a sharing pleasure. your time. And honestly, I, I learned a few things. The Rye Child. Uh, Check yeah. it out. That You can actually do that online. It's too late for my first one, but I might be able it to is. use it for my second but one. But you know what? They'll have a child someday. And I can pass it on to them. Right. And yeah. I'm guessing with your children, it's messed up. That could be a year or two. From yeah, honestly, oh, yeah. that's horrible. <laughs> All right, Jason, thank you so much. Uh, we'll see you guys next time here on Father Time. On the next Father Time with Jamie Kaler, my guest will be comedian Josh Wolf. You know, one of my kids' favorite things to do, and this is probably not great, I would drive to an empty parking lot, and I would put them in the trunk of my Saturn, and they liked me to drive around. They would roll around in the trunk, in the car trunk, and I would You're drive- absolutely right. That is not legal. Yeah! <laughs> Father Time is a Howell original and a production of Mid-Roll Media, produced by Josh Richmond and Dana Wickens. This is Tony Rodriguez. This is Carlos Santos. This is Riza Licea. And this is Oscar Montoya. When our powers combine, we are Spanish Aquí Presents. We have a brand new podcast here on Earwolf, bringing you the best of the best of lo mejor of the Latinx comedy. Join us every Tuesday as we chat about what's going on in our lives, Latinx culture, and ¿qué es lo que? Lo que no está picando. Lo que te pica. Don't worry, we'll tell you what that means if you listen. We'll also be joined by a new guest every single week. We'll get to know a little bit more about their lives. Every single week. Uh-huh. And then we'll make them sit back and watch us improvise their lives right back to them. Improvisation. <laughs> Spanish Aki Presents premieres July 16th. Subscribe now in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Hola, Nesea. Spanish Aki Presents. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.